Okie dokie. Are we ready to go? So if we could pray it in real quick, I'll go ahead and get started. Father, thank you so much for these just amazing mentors and just the wisdom that they just want to pour out on us um, so freely. So I pray, um, Father, that you just open our minds um, and open our hearts, Father, to more, to addition to all the business and all of the economics and everything that we can learn, Father, but also to just how um, the way that Mark really does um, keep in contact with your heart, Father. Um, so I just pray that you would give us listening ears and watchful eyes for these next, this next half hour. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All righty. So, Mark, you work for Elliott Wave International, which is, I'm sure, having an interesting time right now. <laughs> Could you explain exactly like what Elliott Wave International is? So the idea behind the Elliott Wave methodology is that well, it was discovered by a guy named Ralph Nelson Elliott back in the 1920s, and he got sick with tuberculosis. So he was sitting on his porch in the sun recuperating in San Francisco, he was an accountant and as only an accountant would do, he's going through for relaxation, he's going through price charts of the markets, you know, and he's just right, kind of flipping right. through these price charts. And he, he noticed that the market seemed to move in patterns and he began to dig in and try to determine exactly what these patterns were. And he ended up putting together, you know, kind of codifying it through a series of letters he wrote to people who were big Wall Street people at the time. And he started trading on that information and started doing very well. And he, he wrote a small book that didn't do much. And then, and then he died. And the people that he interacted with on Wall Street recognized this as something important. And there would be a sort of like every generation subsequently would have one or two people who were sort of the, the Elliot people, okay. the people who understood Elliot and they would use it themselves and they'd talk to each other about it, write back and forth about it and so forth until my boss in the 1970s was working for Merrill Lynch in New York. And he was going through, you guys know what microfiche is? Does anybody know what that term is? Microfiche? Well, it's how you used to do research. You'd go to this big terminal it's like a computer, except there were no computers. And you would, it's kind of like Etch-A-Sketch. Everything was captured on film, you know, analog film. And you would move the dials and you would read, you'd be able to read old newspapers this way. And it was sort of, uh, it was sort of white on blue. I remember this from my days as a student way back before, before, so you wouldn't, you know, there was no such thing as Google, obviously. So anyway, he, Bob came across on microfiche, some of these old letters buried, just buried in the New York uh, library. And he was fascinated by it. He began to, to use this information himself in his analysis and he ended up writing a book with that prior generation's top Elliott guy named A.J. Frost. And this book is called The Other Wave Principle, uh, Key to Market Behavior. And it's a legendary book now on, on, you know, for traders all over the world. Basically, what it says is that the markets move in patterns regardless of what's happening outside. So whatever market you're looking at, oil, the price of oil is not dependent on interest rates. Interest rates are not dependent on stocks or the fed it's there's some radical things in here you know stocks don't move because of a coronavirus or because of wars they move because their pattern declares that they must move 
and the pattern itself comes from uh, this. It's a it's a phenomenon that happens in in society when people groups of people get together. They have a, a mood, a group mood. They're unconscious. It's it's unconscious. They don't recognize it. They don't realize it, and it is impelling them to make uh, decisions based on that mood. So they swing from excessive optimism to excessive pessimism. And on top of that, for you math geeks out there, I see Tyler, he already knows all this. Tyler should be given this, this explanation, not me, but you know, it's fractal. So it's like nested Russian dolls. Each pattern sits inside of another pattern. So it sounds very complicated. I'm probably making it more complicated than it is, but that's what Elliott wave uh, principle is. And it, and it states that these patterns in the markets are not independent of the rest of uh, society. They are a result of society. So mm -hmm. you will see in bull markets, you'll see that people like Disney movies and they drive fast cars and they travel a lot. And music is very, you know, at a peak, you'll see bubblegum type music coming to the fore. And in bear markets, you see the opposite. You know, cars get heavy and windows get small and everybody's about protection. And, and that's because, and, and the movies, you know, horror movies become really super popular in bear markets. And that's not because the market drives them to that point, but because their mood is the source of both of those groups of mm -hmm. activities. Wars happen at the bottom of, of major bear markets because people are, you know, ticked and angry. And, and they go to war with each other. At the top of bull markets, you see countries come together and they form major agreements that European Union codifies at the end of 2000, which is you know, the top of a big, big bear market. And then it falls apart during bear markets. Wow, yeah, that's, that's fascinating. So, cause even I've got on your website and the headline on your website right now is no, we are not in uncharted territory. So I think that really speaks to like the Elliott Wave principle of nothing is new. You know, there's nothing new under the sun. Yeah, and that's right. So even in conversations I've had with you in the past, something you do really well is you always loop back to where, you know, where's the kingdom in this? So I was just curious, I literally had on LinkedIn, I think your company has about 70 people. So obviously there's ministry there, but how does, you, how does discipleship and how does your faith in general play into your daily like your work, but also just like with, with your company? Yeah, the big thing for me is, you know, listening prayer. And I'm where I am be with my job because of that. I mean, I, I haven't left where I'm working. I'm called to that place. And, you know, I really try to, I don't do this all the time, but I try to at least once a day commit to some time with God to really listen. And everything else for me comes out of that, really. So discipleship opportunities come out of that. Discussions with my boss come out of that. He's an atheist, brilliant guy, wonderful person, very generous, but, but an atheist. And so for me, it comes from, from listening prayer. It's the way I get intimate with the Lord. It's how I know what I'm supposed to do, like in life, from purpose down to the next couple of minutes. And I actually wanted to talk about that during the teaching session. Yeah. Well, we're right there. So <laughs> yeah, the timing is perfect timing. <laughs> the timing is right. So yeah, as I was praying this morning, doing listening prayer, I sensed that I should talk to people about listening prayer. 
and I know you guys are familiar with it, very familiar with it. Seth's book was a, was a landmark book for, for probably many of you. It was for me. So just to kind of get an idea of where everybody is, how many people, like, would you say you do quiet listening prayer where you stop and ask God questions and listen for an answer, say like on a weekly basis? Does that happen for everybody, most everybody? Everybody, yeah, every day, happen every day for folks. Some people sort of, I got my hands sort of raised, yeah. Well, what I w really wanted to do is encourage people in this to make this a an ongoing habit, not just of a like a certain time of day or anything like that, but when you hit questions, I find in my own life that it is the source, it's the wellspring for so much else. And, you know, the way every, people do listening prayer in different ways, this is what, this is how I do it. This is from this morning, I guess, 3.30. Yeah. So I just sit down with a pencil and a piece of paper and, and I ask God questions. And typically my first question is, God, is this a good time for listening prayer? And usually it's, yeah, you know, but sometimes it's like, uh, no, go apologize to Catherine for being a jerk yesterday. You know, that literally happens to me pretty regularly or call, you know, a friend and, and offer blank. Many times it's kind of like, well, first take a look at such and such an area of scripture and then something will happen through that area. So, and I'll just go through and say, okay, so what first, this says get clean. So I just, you know, I got on the floor and I confessed. And then now what worship, so I worshiped. It's not always like that. It's oftentimes it's different, you know, a different order or not all of those things are part of it. Now ask for help with the Global U meeting, with this meeting, review the invite, and then down here is is very clear direction on 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 what I, how I should handle this this time. So I've got other examples. You know, the other day our company's working from home and has been for a month. And the other day I kind of sensed that the marketing group needed some principles that we could live by. We've been doing it long enough that we kind of had it, we were able to accomplish some routines. You know, put some routines in place. And so I sort of stepped back and asked God about that and said, you know, he said, so what now? Make a list for work, a list of priorities. Yes, here on email, here. And, and then I got a list of daily priorities from the Lord. Number one, we should change the hero daily. Number two, we should change the graphics on the hero every two to three days. This is very detailed. And so sometimes this is what happens in my prayer times. And so I know you guys are, you know, you talk about pivoting a lot, especially right now. One of the advantages of listening prayer is that it helps you make sure that you are constantly connected to God's plan for you and, and your plan for the world, his plan for the world through you on a moment by moment basis. So that for me, listening prayer has kept me flexible, has kept me um, constantly in a posture of questioning whether I'm to continue what I'm currently doing. It's corrective, you know, and that's not even, that's just on the business side or on the life side. Then there's all the, 
other things that it does. So I want to encourage people to, to, to make sure that you're doing that and to think of it first. You know, many times I'll think of my strategy first. I'll think of planning first. I'll, I'll grab a spreadsheet. You know, it's, but I would encourage everybody to sort of make listening prayer a go-to for every question that you face. Yeah, that's really, really good. So something we ask like a lot of the mentors about is what is work-life balance? What, first of all, what would you define like an ideal work-life balance? Because this is something you know, that we just like, there's like the startup mentality of, you know, you're working, you know, all, all the time, all the time, all the time. And then, but you see people leave their families behind, but then you still have to be able to provide for your family. So what is, what does work-life balance look like for you? Yeah, that's a really, really interesting question and a really good question because I get it wrong all the time, you know, and where I'm going to get it wrong is I'm going to get it wrong on the work side and on the ministry side. I'm going to just throw, cause it's, there, there's, you know, I can be effective. I know that. I mean, it's just like, there's a, there are needs. There are always needs. Things aren't going right. They're, they're in their visceral needs, you know, where sometimes maybe on the family side, you know, or on the life side, it's not as visceral, those mm-hmm. needs, you know? So for me, with my personality and probably 100% of you guys, that's going to be where you're going to go. You're going you're gonna to overwork and under-relationship, you know? What is the balance? For me, it's a moving target. Right. I mean, I happen to be married to somebody who gets this, and Catherine is, you know, terrific this way. So it's just, it, for me, it's seasons. There's seasons where I just go after something and then, and then I overdo it. And God, I mean, it's going to come back to prayer, listening prayer. I'll get, I'll get a uh, correction from God. I mean, there are multiple times, like landmark times in my past where I've been overwhelmed with what I have to do. And I can't even see the future with hope because it's so, because all of this looms for me. And, and typically it's because I've become overcommitted. I've committed myself to things. And I mean, I've got times that I can think of where I, I said, you know, Lord, can you please help me with this? And the first thing that comes to mind typically is confessing that I've taken on a lot of things that aren't mine to take on. And so I'll confess that, ask him to help me out of it. And he'll say, call so-and-so and ask to be released from this and write so-and-so and ask to be released from that. So the balance for me, I can't give you a formula. Right. I can give you something better, which is an admonition to stay connected to God. If you do that, work-life balance thing will work out. You'll make mistakes because you're human, but God will correct you because he's faithful to do that. So, I mean, I work a typical week for me right now is I'm putting in, you know, 18 hour days because I've got so much going and we're trying to, it's, it's our season of, of expectation from people in the world and, 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 and our business. And this is the time when, like my boss says, he says, you know, we're, this is the time we need to cook. And so that's just what's go, going on. And at, at a certain point, and you can get caught up in that, the intensity of it and the, and the rush, you know, the rush in the, in the seventies meaning of that word. It's a, it's a, it's intense. It's fun. Right. 
it's a rush, you know, it goes to your head, yeah. the adrenaline, and you can get caught up in that. But at a certain point, if you're connected to God, he's going to say, okay, hang on, Mark, you know, it's time to shut it all off and go for a walk with your kids or your friends. That's really, really good. Thank you. You're welcome. Mark, uh, good morning. Thanks for jumping hey, on. Hey, what's up, Josh? So one of my questions, you know, we talked about this in Spain when you were out there. Um, and I'm sure a lot of people, you know, a lot of students or people might view this in the future. Like listening prayer. So, I mean, you know, it's kind of like a stage in your journey with the Lord where, you know, I grew up in a Baptist background. So, you know, you have your Bible and that's how you hear from the Lord. But like progressing, hey, God still speaks today. I can still hear from him. Like, how did you make that progression, if you still remember? Like, how did you, one, learn to trust the voice of the Lord and, like, have the patience to, like, hear the small whisper from God? What was that early journey in your listening prayer life? Yeah. I mean, I didn't grow up in a, in a Baptist background, so I didn't come with the need to sort of break that formulaic approach. You know, I, I became a believer in my 20s. And um, at a non-denominational church, and I had a massive hunger for the word. And, and I would propose to people that if they just read the word, they will likely come to the conclusion that God speaks to people today or has in the past. And there's no reason to think that he wouldn't today. In my own life, where it, be, where it became a thing that I, I recognized that I was doing and that I was depending on, was in 2001 when my dad died and he and I were very close and he died. It wasn't unexpected. He was sick for a long time, but after he died and we had the funeral and whatnot, I was in my late thirties. He died pretty young. And so I came home. We all came home after the funeral. And I said to Catherine, my wife, the kids were little, you know, and I said, honey, is there any way, I can go away. And she said, well, what do you mean? You know, and I said, I just need, I think I need to get in the woods for a couple of days. And she said, yeah, absolutely. So I packed a bunch of stuff and went up to this place nearby here on a mountain and I pitched a tent and that, and I, I remember trying to go to sleep. I heard every mouse within two miles, every rustle it made, you know, and I'm like, what am I doing here? This is stupid. I'm not, and I, I would get a, you know, a few minutes of sleep and then wake up and, and, and the next morning the sun came up and I got together a cup of coffee somehow and I'm sitting there watching the sun come up and I had a notepad with me and I thought I was just going to write, you know, but instead it was, it was a prayer. I began to ask God what my dad's life meant and it was holy. And it, it's, it's, I couldn't, there's no way I could have conjured it up. It was honest. You know, it wasn't like my dad had it all together or anything like that, but I loved him. And I had a sense that God loved him. I knew he loved him. And I also knew because of that, that he was in heaven because of that time, that listening prayer time that my dad had gone to heaven. It wasn't that open of a question, but there was some question in my mind. And so I still have these notes. I need to frame them. I mean, you know, I want to make a monument out of them, <laughs> but I got hooked 
because that, and I, and, and it was maybe a, an hour or an hour and a half. I don't know. Time stood still as they say, you know, and then I was done and I was like, all right, I'm out of here. I packed up, I drove in the driveway and Catherine was like, I thought you were going for two or three days. And I was like, nah, I got what I need. And I just, when God speaks to us, to me, it's, it's, it's more than food. It's a, it's a whole other category of, of sustenance, you know? So I, I, I got hooked. I got hooked right there. And then, and I, but I never told anybody except my wife, you know, that this was going on. So every once in a while, I'd be like, well, I got this question about the kids, you know, one of the kids would be doing something or, and I, I try this listening prayer thing, you know, and, and lo and behold, it, you know, I'd get, I'd get a word from the Lord. And so it, where I would use, I used to do it maybe once every six months because I didn't know what I was doing. And then I started to do it more and more and more and more and more. And now I have seven folders full of listening prayer notes that go back 30, 20 years. And then a few years later, Seth, I never talked with him about it. A few years later, he wrote this book, you know, listening prayer and asked me to edit it. And I was like, whoa. And this to me was reading something that really kind of codified for me what was going on and, and explained it to me. And then about a year later, I, I went to him and I said, Hey, can I show you something? And he's like, yeah, what, you know? And so I showed him my listening prayer notes and I was kind of like fearful because here's the guy, you know? And I was like, is this, you know, acceptable? Is this okay? And, and of course he endorsed it readily. So did that answer your question, Josh? I, I, I kind of went off a little bit there. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for ha uh, for hopping on. And uh, Mary, would you like to bless Mark as we, we finish up here? I can. Thanks, Mary. Father, I thank you just for the opportunity for Mark to share his perspective and pieces of his life with us, Father. We've been blessed. And so I pray that, you know, through, through all of the events that are happening, you continue to wash peace over him mm -hmm. and... Just when relationships seem to be strained, that it's actually a really fruitful time and that somehow Mark's able to have even stronger relationships with family, with coworkers, with friends through this time of what is perceived isolation greater than he ever expected. So thank uh, you again. And we lift this day to you. Amen. 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 I want to pray for you guys too. Can I do that? Absolutely. Yeah, Lord, what a great what a great thing you're doing with these with these young people. I pray, Father, that you would set them apart, even as they're going about the business of the world, and they are primarily concerned with the business of the world. I pray that you would set them apart, Lord, that they would be distinctive in in you. And, and I pray, Father, that your Spirit would settle upon them, Lord, your Holy Spirit, and that your Holy Spirit would fill these people. Lord, they are your select for this time. The world needs them. You know this, God, because you've ordained this from the beginning. So, God, I pray that even as, you know, we're talking about things of the world today that, um, Lord, you would hide deep in them a fount 
of the, you know, the word metaphysical comes to mind, uh, something beyond the physical here, beyond the money, beyond the businesses that they're, that they're thinking of, Lord. I pray for, for that kind of a blessing for them, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Yeah. Okay, guys. It's good seeing everybody. Thank you. You too. We'll see you again soon. Okay. See you. Bye. 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 <laughs>